0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Welcome to the Bite Science Business Breakfast Best Bits from Monday, October the 31st. Spooky, eh? Uh, coming up we'll hear from the head of energy for DMG events Christopher Hudson. So basically these are the team who put together ADIPEC every single year. ADIPEC is a huge energy industry event uh, down in Abu Dhabi, but uh, bigger this year than ever before because of the number of challenges and questions that face the industry and because of the energy crisis being felt the world over. Uh, Chris Hudson sort of painted a picture for us as to what we can expect from adpec this week. We also were joined by Mazen Nahawi. Mazen is the group CEO. He's also the founder of Karma. He's a keen observer of all things media in its traditional formats and of course in social media format as well. We wanted to get his take on the takeover of Twitter by Elon Musk. After all, of the drama at the end of last week. Things have calmed down a little in the last couple of days. What does that tell us? What does that indicate about Elon Musk's intentions with Twitter? Spinney's also joined us at early doors. Tom Harvey was in in the six o'clock hour for us this morning. Uh, didn't come uh, dressed up. Didn't come bearing pumpkins. That's probably because... They've pretty much sold out to them at the moment. He was in to talk about the economics of Halloween and gave us an indication of just how big a deal it has become just how big a celebration it has come here in the UAE. Plus, big focus on all things real estate. Lewis Allsop of Allsop and Allsop was going to join us. This is after his seminar that he organised uh, on Friday, just before the weekend. A recruitment seminar, no less, where he's looking to bring in new talent from other industries and other backgrounds. Brandy Scott actually went down to that seminar to see what was uh, happening firsthand, and Lewis is kind enough to join us live on the line a little earlier on today to explain more
1: as real estate deals continue to rise in volume and value uh, one firm has just held its first ever local recruitment day and it's looking to poach a little bit of top talent from other industries um, i went along on Friday to the uh, Allsop and Allsop Rita, a real estate beauty pageant, if you like, and found that there was no shortage of people who wanted to get involved. My name is Kristina. I'm 24 years old. I was working in the HR in Germany. Yeah, I quit my job four weeks ago and came to Dubai to find a job here.
2: Originally, I'm from Russia. I've lived in Sweden all my life last two years I've been working as a luxury real estate agent in Russia and then moved to Dubai. Now I'm here for two weeks.
3: I grew up in Dubai. I've lived in the same house in the Meadows since I was two. So I know that inside out. I went to school in Arabian ranches. I know that whole area.
4: I'm in Dubai now for two years. I used
5: to work in the designer world, specialized for the house.
3: Uh, So I'm currently not technically employed. I do some freelance PT stuff, mainly for family and friends because I don't really have the qualifications.
2: Why real estate? Why do I say because you can be creative, you can be your in, like, you can show your personality, you can meet uh, nice people, and uh, well, the biggest reason is money. So, <laughs> money, money.
3: I'd quite like to get stuck into this because uh, I, I'm not currently making any money myself, and I've seen the market is booming, and I'd quite like to get involved.
4: I'm here today to hopefully find a job in leasings, and then work my way up towards sales to just make myself proud and make my family proud and. Stop being a guy who isn't making as
2: much money as my friends. (laughs) Obviously money is a big thing, um, but not really the main thing. I want to work in real estate because I'm a hustler. I was born a hustler and I like selling stuff to people.
4: I'm looking for a change to, uh, I don't
1: want to have limits what I can earn. So, go big or go home. Matthew, why are
2: you here? To do real estate, make money.
1: That's uh, just some of those who turned up um, to the Allsop and Allsop Recruitment Day. Lewis Allsop, Chief Executive Officer, is with us. Lewis, good morning.
2: Good
6: morning.
1: Why are you trying to nick other people's employees then here in Dubai?
6: (laughs) Uh, So, there's a bit of backstory to it. Um, Obviously, if you know our business, we recruited from the UK for a long, long time. And what we found is we've actually had a lot of success with people currently living in Dubai. And... The key component to the whole seminar really was looking for people with local knowledge that could uh, transition that into finding someone's home. So if you know the local restaurants, the local communities, the local roads when they're busy, we think that information is a lot more important than being a good in bracket salesperson.
1: What does it say, though, about where we are in the real estate cycle that people might be looking to give up good steady jobs in other industries to come and work on a commission only basis selling real estate?
6: It's a difficult one because obviously we are speaking to people from really good backgrounds and making substantial money. But if you watch these new programs that are Netflix moments, Selling, Sunset, and all these are the programs with it's Dubai bling, they glamorized real estate to the point now where, you know, even our staff are dressing to dress to impress, and that never happened years ago. So I just think Dubai and real estate as a whole in America and the UK has been glamorized and people have seen the money you potentially can make in it. Um, and I think it's that what if moment for a lot of you, why not why could it not be then?
1: Give me those figures, Lewis, because you went into them on friday. i was I was at your uh, at your recruitment call. How much can someone make in the industry at the moment?
6: So, if we take sales, I'm going to give you a standard market report as in what we sell at an average price to get the super luxury and forget the the discount deals. Let's look at an average transaction. an average sale price is two point nine eight million for ourselves. So let's round up to three million. We charge 2% to the buyer and 2% to the seller. So an average sale that you're looking at is 120,000 dirhams. um, And the agent would take 50% of that. So they'd be netting 60,000 in their pocket. We're anticipating to do between one to three sales, depending on the area they're working in. So, you know, it's a substantial uplift for them. If they were going into leasing, they'd be involved in seven or eight leases, equating to around 40,000 dirhams on on the commission for the company, which they would take half of again. Right. So it's a, you know, it, it, even if you were an, a good lettings agent, it is a very good income compared to maybe a standard job.
1: But you mentioned some stars on Friday, didn't you? I mean, you dangled some pretty big carrots. Tell me what some of your top guys have been earning.
6: So the top agent so far this year um, is billed 7.7 million uh, dirhams. So he's going to make a million pounds this year. Um, one agent that's actually from my home city started with us three years ago. He's just sold a villa for... Sixty something million dirhams. I'm not going to disclose exactly where it is, but take home on that was two point seven million. These guys receive half of that money in one month, so it's quite hard to obviously explain to someone that stuff money that you can earn. But I, you know, I do put the caveat out there. That's not what everyone earns, and that's that's what we say to everybody. We, we don't like to give the worst case scenario, but it is possible. It's definitely possible.
1: But some of those, I've just got a couple of minutes with you. Yes. Aren't going to. Commission only. Does that not put people in precarious positions?
6: Definitely. I mean, let's not not mess around with it. I mean, there's two types of people. There's someone that's happy to sit where they are and they're climbing the ladder. And there's some people that, you know, want to better themselves. Now, if you look at the wealthiest people in the world and the most successful, they either own a business, they invest in property, they invest in technology. Um, I don't think you can make the wealth that you want to in a nine to five job. And that's why a lot of people do... Start a business. This is as close to starting a business as you can within a business.
1: Right, one minute left. So, who are you going to pick up then? I know you had about two thousand people apply. You whittled it down to the top uh, two hundred who you liked. Who will? How many will you hire, and why will you choose the people that you do?
6: You know, we've got we've got the same problem. I think a lot of agents have got at the moment. There's not a lot of space in the offices because obviously everyone wants to get into real estate. So, out of the eighteen hundred, we vetted every person. We've whittled it down to a few hundred seen their LinkedIn profiles. What we're looking for is not actually experience. We're looking for people that, uh, you know, dress appropriately, will, will communicate appropriately. And that's the purpose of what we're looking for. So I've got a meeting today to discuss it, but it's definitely not going to be the ones with 20 years experience that have no personality. We, In our business model, it is personality over paper. So that's what we're looking for.
1: And Lewis Allsop, Chief Executive Officer of Allsop and Allsop, thank you very much for joining us on the line this morning
0: just the highlights this is the bite-sized business breakfast
1: where we are talking halloween now as richard dean would say if he was here very pleased uh, to be joined in the studio by the commercial general manager of spinnies tom harvey tom good morning thanks for joining us good morning how big is halloween for Spinneys?
3: Halloween is one of these events that just gets bigger and bigger every single year so um, we keep talking about records every time I come on and do this this, this Halloween slot each year um, we're up uh, it, it's another double digit year of growth for us um, and it just becomes one of the the biggest events we actually ever uh, celebrate across the UAE because it's a, a non-religious event we see um, Halloween now becoming one of the, the top three seasonal events that we have in the year um, even bigger than valentine's now
1: what did we see happen to halloween activity during the pandemic how much was it curtailed
3: it wasn't really curtailed. People just did things a little bit differently. So um, if, if you go back to 2020, yes, it was it was a, it was a little bit quieter. Um, but by last year, people were out and about. They were able to do trick or treating. Um, but it was making sure that all of the candies are wrapped. Everybody, you know, actually going out in fancy dress. Pretty easy to still be wearing a mask, and nobody had any problems. This year, um, we're we're back to normal. So um, there's 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 no restrictions. Um, and actually, we see when when Halloween like it does on a Monday. Actually, it's one of the best things for us because people will have a big party over the weekend and then they go again on Monday night for a little extra trick or treat just to make sure that the children have got as much candy in their mouths as possible.
1: Double bubble. Right. Speaking of that candy, uh, this year, what we're talking about, not so much COVID, but inflation. What does that mean for the price of our pumpkin-shaped Reese's.
3: So for candy, it's not meant um, much difference at all. We've, we've talked you know, regularly when I come on the show to, to, to what we're doing with inflation. And actually, we're, we're now seeing um, fairly, a fairly significant number of areas where we're seeing deflation. And whilst the Input products, the uh, the the cost of the materials as we're buying them um, have definitely gone up because we uh, import directly so much product ourselves. We're actually seeing the big benefits come through on freight. Um, if I use uh, the UK as a freight lane, we're down about sixty five percent now from where we were in, in in peak pandemic pandemic times, and obviously currency continues to have a benefit for us. So actually, when it comes to the uh, the price you pay at the till in Spinneys, um, it's no different to where it was last year.
1: What about things like pumpkins? How much does your uh, do your pumpkin sales go up?
3: So pumpkins, um, most of the year, pumpkins is a is a is a pretty much a non-existent sales line. People uh, people really only buy into them in a uh, in a very big way uh, when we get to Halloween. Um, we've certainly seen a couple of changes this year, um, more driven by the um, by. by basically climate around the world so the key areas where we're sourcing um, pumpkins from Spain um, we were actually last year buying some locally from the UAE but with drier weather um, in a lot of the areas we've actually seen that pumpkins have been a little bit smaller Um, so we're not getting as many big pumpkins um, with the exception of the few giant ones that we did uh, we did bring into some of the key stores um, and there were a lot of very very excitable children helping us to carve them into some of the, uh, the big stores over the weekend.
1: Oh, you mentioned prices there and you mentioned the price rises, uh, the price uh, reductions rather that you have been making. Uh, where are we on, on how far that can go? I mean, are you starting to change where you source things from to take advantage of the, uh, the stronger dollar? What's the strategy?
3: We're not changing where we source things from. Um, the focus for us is always very much on quality first and making sure we've got consistency of supply. We have very trusted partnerships with uh, a lot of our suppliers and so um, it's not so much much about changing things, but just making sure that we are, we are optimising. Um, so what we are seeing is that this continues, even though the you know, pound has strengthened recently, um, there's other currencies that continue to be soft. And that is allowing us to, uh, to make a number more changes in the, uh, in the prices and, and actually drive some really, really uh, strong improvements in the volumes of the products that we're selling.
1: Oh, we've got more COVID restrictions in China. Is the supply chain crunch finished?
3: Uh, I don't think so. Uh, we've we've we, we never really know what to call it as a supply chain crunch anymore, or is it just business as usual? Because this has pretty much been the way we've been for uh, for well over two years, almost almost three now. So um, there continue to be disruptions Um, we've seen you know a lot of a lot of industries around the world changing away from more of a a just-in-time supply chain to something where they're they're focusing on flexibility we again because of how we operate with the level of direct sourcing with the fact that we have our own warehousing our own logistics um, we have our own sourcing operations in other countries as well um, have one of the best levels of flexibility to, uh, to 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 manage that in this market
1: Uh, Before we let you go, talk to us about people's habits, even if, as you say, you're managing to bring some of those prices down, people obviously very concerned about the cost of living at the moment. Is it having an effect on how much we spend, how much we put in the basket?
3: yeah it is, but uh, in a funny way, from us, from a retail perspective and again we've we 've talked about this um, in, in, in the past. Uh, we actually see this as a bit of a benefit because people will look at their um, their spending and actually it 's a, it's a far better way to create good value by spending a little bit more um, to treat yourself on some nice products and spinnies than going out for dinner. Um, So actually, we we see people trading up. So we see people coming in and starting to say, look, I want to buy Angus steak instead of grass fed, or I'm going to really treat myself to to, to some Wagyu. And all these little indulgences of of a little trade up are, are actually things that work really great for us in the supermarket sector at this time.
1: But the average basket size, any sort of change? So
3: the average basket has dropped off a little bit, but that's more to do with the mix of shopping occasions and the fact that we've got a lot of people back at work uh, buying their lunchtime from Spinney's, and and so they tend to buy a little bit more, um, but they're buying more frequently.
1: And Tom Harvey, General Manager of Commercial uh, at Spinney's, thank you very much for joining us this morning.
0: Thank you. Catch up on the business headlines with the bite-sized business breakfast. Let's talk about Elon Musk, I think, because Elon Musk uh, has taken control of Twitter, ousted the CEO, Chief Financial Officer, and the company's general counsel uh, as well. It was one of the first actions from Elon Musk after, well, all the drama that one expects uh, when Elon Musk is involved in any story. Uh, When he walked into the uh, Twitter HQ in San Francisco with a sink on Thursday, we thought, okay, something's amiss here. Friday, obviously, we saw the fireworks uh, and the fire rings as well. A couple of days of a little lull, a little calm for us to all take stock and uh, to have a little look at what uh, some of these actions mean for the future. Let's find out more uh, on uh, the deal itself and, of course, what we can expect in the future from the founder and the CEO of Karma. Mazen Nahawi has been kind enough to join us live on the line, live via Microsoft Teams as well this morning. Mazen, good morning to you. Good morning. Nice to catch up, as always. So, uh, the calm after the early storm from a certain Elon Musk, what does... Uh, what, f- from your reading of the situation, uh, the early actions taken by Elon, what what does this tell us about his priorities?
2: I think two very early actions were quite indicative of what we can expect in the short term. Uh, one was, if you'd like, political, the creation of a moderation council, which in his own words would reflect a diversity of views. I'm not really sure what that means and who decides what's diverse or not. Um, But that's clearly a a step in the direction of him wanting to create a digital town square for all of civilization, uh, as he puts it. The second one was very interesting to me, a financial step where the continued talk about layoffs and the removal of a number of Twitter's principles clearly shows a need to move quickly to cut costs. He has overpaid by nearly $20 billion for this transaction. Banks will probably lose a billion dollars because they cannot syndicate these loans at an affordable price. So he's going to need to act quickly financially to reduce costs and find new revenue.
0: From our understanding of Elon, uh, his history, but also Twitter and the infrastructure in place there at the moment. Can we read anything into a a coherent strategy at the moment starting to show? Is that what we can expect from Twitter under Elon Musk? a really good question.
2: I don't actually think that there is a coherent strategy. I hope there would be one. I was excited by the prospect that he would come in and transactional change the nature of twitter into something more modern more successful but frankly it's been a story of inconsistency the only continuing thing throughout the saga has been inconsistency you know talking about civilization and human rights and respect but then you know firing people and making thousands of employees afraid about their jobs um talking about quadrupling revenue but then cutting costs from day one that's not how you grow a business um, there's a lot of inconsistency, and I no longer actually see uh, a consistent strategy here. There has been talk about the Everything app, there's been talk about the digital town square for civilization, but these are very different from the current model of, t- of Twitter. If he wants to go with a WeChat alternative or competitor, then just go ahead and build one from scratch, trying to grow it out of Twitter seems like a pretty bad strategy to me.
0: Let's talk about the Everything app if we can. Uh, obviously catchy name uh, and everyone's talking about the everything app but do we actually know anything about the everything
2: i don't think we do i think the easiest way to describe it would be to think of it as an american version of wechat if you'd like a western version of each of wechat of course wechat in china is an all-in-one platform where you can do your grocery shopping book a lift um, connect with people uh, and watch movies Um, But the Chinese ecosystem is very different to the one that we've got in sort of the Western and EMEA world. Um, There are major infrastructure and investment requirements to be able to do something like an Uber. So having an Uber within Twitter, for example, would be very expensive, very complicated. And we live in a much more competitive market-oriented society in sort of the West and the EMEA region. I don't think the, the all-in-one app that uh, has been suggested would actually work being built out of Twitter.
1: Well, we've just had Elon tweeting in the last 15 minutes a small poll on his own Twitter, bring back Vine, question mark, yes or no? Is that what the social media world needs now?
2: I don't think it would work, uh, Brandy. Uh, there's something big and bad out there called TikTok. Bringing back <laughs> Vine would have no chance. <laughs> Uh, You mentioned there the
0: region, Mazen, as well. And obviously we know that we are a region that uh, uh, uses social media uh, in in, in large numbers. Will this have any sort of knock-on effect for the MENA region? Because after all, Twitter is a global brand.
2: I think it will. I think the only um, immediate uh, impact on the MENA region that I can see would be Elon starting to link Twitter with Starlink and that has political ramifications in places like Iran, for example. From a commercial point of view, um, if he really goes down the path of wanting the world to gather at Twitter, we should be able to see more Twitter people here in the MENA region doing more community-based activity, more Twitter influencers. And I'd hope to see that develop over time.
0: We have seen over the course of the last couple of days, a few advertisers starting to pull their advertising. We're told it's normal course of business with a company coming under new uh, ownership. Should uh, Twitter investors be concerned about GM Motors Co and others just uh, showing uh, that they are cautionary at best at the moment?
2: They should be concerned. Again, part of the saga of inconsistency is Elon saying he hates advertising. And then when he's walked into the building, sending a letter to all of the advertisers talking about how much he loves their money. Um, I think uh, advertisers should be concerned first and foremost, because there is no plan. You know, had there been a plan, they would have communicated it. Um, I think the other problem is the more economic one. Uh, ad spending on social is starting to decline in a very large and accelerated manner. And unless we have a plan to see this thing change, I don't see Twitter doing well in the upcoming year or two.
0: There's a lot of big words being thrown around at the moment, aren't there? I mean, as you quite rightly said, Mazen, just a few moments ago, this sort of very convoluted language, you know, the widely diverse new uh, viewpoints, no major content decisions or account reinstatements at the moment until the forum has done this. Uh, are they just trying to sort of bamboozle us with words on Twitter at the moment? I
2: think it seems to be an exercise in trying to create... An air of you know gathering attention yeah. and being divisive and confrontational. And it seems to be more about attracting attention than actually doing anything good for the business. Um, you know, the creation of a moderation council, well, he's just fired the people who were doing that yesterday. um they're going to be doing the same thing. So I'm not sure um, what he has in mind. It seems to me that again, part of the inconsistency. As he wanted to the, do the deal, then he wanted out of the deal. It's clear he wanted out of the deal. So at this point in time, I think there's a lot of rhetoric, but no plan.
0: Mazen, I really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much indeed for uh, giving us your thoughts, uh, concise thoughts on that as well. Mazen we Nahawi is the founder and the CEO uh, of Karma, giving us uh, his thoughts on the Elon Musk takeover of Twitter. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on dubaii1038.com. Let's set the scene for ADAPEC 2022, if we can, which opens its doors this morning. They're expecting 150,000 visitors in Abu Dhabi this week, including more than 40 global energy ministers and a hatful of heavyweight CEOs from the energy industry. Uh, they'll include the likes of Bernard Looney of BP, uh, Vicky Hulub of Occidental and Sultan Al-Jabba of ADNOC. Richard's going to be down there all week ahead of the event he spoke to the organiser chris hudson uh, the president of energy at dmg events theme of this year's event is the future of energy secure affordable and sustainable richard began by asking how they settled on this issue
4: well i think it's a a reflection of where the industry is today um clearly as as a global community we need more energy but we need more secure energy so security of supply it's got to be affordable because we have to consider things like the just energy transition. And of course, it's got to be sustainable. So I think those are the key drivers of where the energy industry is at the moment and an industry in transition and what it needs to provide in going forward. So security of supply affordability is key um, and sustainability is we really drive quite heavily down that road of energy transition and what that means in terms of new energy and for those existing energy suppliers.
5: And yet voices are getting louder saying we must not neglect good old-fashioned hydrocarbons. I was looking at comments from Sahil al Mazroui, the UAE Energy Minister, ahead of ADIPAC. He says we have to be pragmatic. He says, yes, we have to be pro-climate, but we also have to be pro-growth, and that means a lot of hydrocarbons.
4: Well, well, absolutely. I mean, we're very fortunate in here. We produce some of the cleanest hydrocarbons uh, in, in the world today. So It's clear the world will need more energy. It's quite clear that there's no single source of energy that can meet the global demand. So that's partly about partnership. It's partly about investment and the trillions of dollars needed to invest in renewables, whether that's hydrogen, solar, wind, geothermal, or whatever those um, carbon neutral fuel sources may be. So it is that pragmatic approach where we need to keep delivering cleaner hydrocarbons. And that's when we talk about methane or carbon capture. Um, We need to work more closely with industry and those hard-to-abate sectors. So, you know, it's one thing producing oil and gas or traditional hydrocarbons, but we have a lot of steel manufacturers or cement manufacturers that require energy and intensive energy to produce their products that the world needs. So it's a role and responsibility of those harder-to-abate industries and, and how we capture carbon and work with those. So hydrocarbons are here, but it's also quite important to have that pragmatic approach and look at the world's big energy companies. These are the companies that are using the years and years of R&D and technology and scientific reports to really drive forward that energy transition, use the technology to invest in cleaner forms of energy. So it's very important that traditional energy companies continue to produce the volumes of oil and gas that the world needs. At the same time, invest quite heavily in, in, in the road to carbon neutrality through alternative source of energy. It's clear that the world needs trillions of dollars to switch up oil and gas. So it's not either or, it's and, as we travel down that transition approach.
5: Let's talk about people. If this was Glastonbury, your headliners are really the big CEOs of the big global companies. You've got Sultan Al Jaber, of course, from Adnoc. You've got Bernard Looney from BP. You've got Vicky Holub from Occidental Petroleum as well and others. How important is it to have those big decision makers in the
4: room? It's critical. Um, ADIPEC this year will have about 1,200 speakers. Um, it attracts, we are up to date to about 42 energy ministers. So energy ministers, everybody from, you're quite right, Dr. Sultan, um, Al-Jaba, Suhail Missouri, the UAE Minister of Energy, to the Indian minister, to the Egyptian minister, ministers from Barbados, um, across Africa, across Europe. So it really is a, a global meeting point in terms of policy. Uh, for the energy industry. But you're right, in terms of those global CEOs, it is a who's who. Every major energy company uh, is represented at Adipec this year. Um, a lot of the big investment banks are there. So people such as Goldman Sachs, Molis, et cetera, et cetera, all come to debate, try and chart that future for the energy industry, whether it's investment needed or collaboration and partnership. But also within Adipec, there's a huge technical. Uh, base, which is really how to produce energy cleaner, cheaper and faster and undoubtedly more sustainable. So it really is that global gathering. There is nowhere on the planet each year that has the ability to attract this many decision makers from across the energy industry. And it's further supported this year by people like United Nations Environment Programme, by people like the Environmental Defence Fund. So you can see very much that other side of the industry playing a key role in, in delivering adipec we also have this year which i think is 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 testament to the ua's position on the global energy stage what we say is 28 country pavilions so we have 28 countries bringing in 10 20 30 companies showcasing their latest products services and um, technologies and that really makes it a very much an inclusive adipec 160 companies are represented we have over um 2 exhibiting companies so it really is this myriad of the whole energy industry coming together to chart that future back to our theme of, few, of secure affordable and sustainable energy
5: well it, it whatever the mix is it's working you're expecting 150,000 visitors which makes Glastonbury looked like a picnic, frankly. I was reading 140,000 square metres. To my maths, that's about 20 football pitches. How do you manage the logistics and the related issue of COVID protocols?
4: Well, we're, we're very fortunate, as we all know, the UAE responded very quickly to COVID. We, uh, and when we traded last year, which was you you know, know. relatively, you, know, you clearly had to be vaccinated. You clearly had to show PRs. A lot of those same protocols are in place and we want everybody to be safe and secure. If you've had a PCR, as long as it's valid for 30 days, you can come to Adipec, but there are all those facilities on site. In terms of the logistics itself, you know, as as DMG, we're one of the world's biggest organisers certainly one of the world's biggest energy organisers. But we're really fortunate that we work with a venue that's well versed in putting this sort of event on. So the logistics and the logistics team and uh, the Abu Dhabi National Exhibition Centre, where, where we're running Adi Beck, are well versed in sort of getting our traffic in. We would advise everybody please come early, um, and um, you know make the most of your your visit there. But everybody's very well catered for, as I say, you know strong security, good PCRs. Um, and we really hope everybody comes and uh, really does great business, but it experiences how this traditional energy industry is not only transitioning, but future proofing itself uh, for the global energy demand that we will all need.
0: Well, those are the thoughts are Chris Hudson. Chris is the president of energy at DMG events. They're the organisers of ADIPEC, which begins today in Abu Dhabi.